0: Thankful for the opportunity to bring the Word of God to you this morning. And it's my goal to be as pastoral as I can. Uh, Because we're going to talk about death. Okay. A wonderful thing on Sunday morning to talk about over 30 years of ministry, the most challenging opportunities have come my way when I've been able to help others through the experience of death. And so, it's just a choice that I've made, and the Lord has confirmed that choice, to talk about it in a, in a, um, in a time when we're not emotionally engaged with the issue. Now, I recognize that at our age, our age, right, um, you know, it's much closer now than it's ever been. Um, but the challenges of ministry have reminded me of an older first parents, older first-time parents who just found out that their full-term child was dead in the mother's womb. About a wife and a children dealing with their father who had put a gun to his head and was still in the backyard. Long battles with cancer and short battles with cancer. Phone calls to find out a parent has already died. We even had one gal who willed herself to die. And she did, she absolutely did. you would think in the world in which we live that we would finally have death, this death thing figured out. After all, there are just under three million deaths every year in our country. That's 8,000 every day, 331 every hour, and almost six every minute. And from the beginning of time, with the exception of two individuals, Enoch and Elijah, every human born has died. So you would would think that death being such a part of life that we would have the, the, the challenge of dealing with it just, you know, completely figured out. But the reality is we don't. Our culture's view of death, we don't talk about it. As if somehow if we have a conversation about death, it's going to bring it sooner than than it was supposed to happen. I'm sure you've had those conversations. Or people are fearful of it. Even Christians are fearful about what will happen when they die. Oh, they know they're, they're going to Jesus, but but I'm still afraid I've never done that before, as if we've never done anything before that we've never done before. If you know what I mean. You know, we're, we're always doing things. In fact, tomorrow, we're gonna do some things on July 12th, because it's July 12th, a place that we've never been before. there there are gonna be some things that'll happen that'll be different. But there's nothing really to be afraid of. And in the world in which we live right now, people increasingly are trying to deny death. A few years ago, I heard the statistic, upwards of 40% of people that die have no service, no memorial service, no funeral service, no gathering of family even at the point of someone leaving this earth and dying. And that's not a healthy thing because of the prevalence of death. And so our culture has really tried to deny death as if somehow that's a benefit to us. Not in the least. Because our culture's view of life is get as much as you can, whenever you can, all the time. Do everything that you want to do. When when our oldest daughter graduated from high school, they had a a motto for their senior class, and this was um, probably 15 years ago, uh, that they weren't allowed to use on their T-shirt or in their graduation ceremony, but everybody knew this was their motto. We do what we want. and isn't that true for the world in which we live now after all it's already been decided in fact some might say it's science there is no life after death and then connected to that because there is no God and and this is where they're heading if there's no God then there's no judgment then I don't face consequences for the actions and the words that I've used here on this earth and if we're not careful these attitudes can creep into the church and impact us as Christ followers do we believe that God has numbered our days before one of them came to be, as Psalm 139 so clearly states? Do we believe that Jesus will accompany us into the heavenly realm as he promised his own disciples in John 14? Do we believe that heaven is not just gain over the worst in life, but rather an improvement over the best in life. Did you hear that? Not just, oh, he's been sick for so long. Finally, he died. Finally, he's in heaven and he doesn't have to suffer anymore. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is the best vacation that you can think of, the best family gathering that you could have, the most joyous time that you've ever experienced here on this earth. Heaven is better. That's the heaven that's gain isn't it true that our views of life and death impact the way we live our lives our views of life will either help or hinder our views of death if we are inaccurate in our view of life we more than likely will be inaccurate in our view of an attitude toward death If we overvalue life, which is the case with many, we are fearful, we're disappointed, we're discouraged when we talk about death, when we face death, when someone close to us dies. If we undervalue life, we limit our usefulness and our purpose while living, even to the point of suicide, which is taking control of what belongs to God. So let's go to the Word of God this morning. And if you have your Bible with you, turn to Philippians chapter one, verses 18 to 26. The Apostle Paul is not in any way fearful about talking about death. And in Philippians one, he says these words and makes an interesting observation. Yes, he says, I will continue to rejoice If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on the account of me paul talks about the struggle whether it's a better thing to die or a better thing to stay living and in verse 21 he used that statement for me to live is christ and to die is better to die is gain to understand how the apostle could make that statement we need to remember why he wrote this letter to the philippians He recognized that his circumstances, what he was going through, might discourage them, might diminish their faith or cause them to listen to other voices that were not true to the gospel. Instead, he wanted them to be joyful. More than a dozen times in this short four-chapter letter, Paul talks about joy and mentions joy not only as a noun but as a verb to be joyful in all circumstances why because he found himself in prison once again this time in Rome living for Jesus right for me to live as Christ living for Jesus was not easy for Paul in case we've feel that our current situation, uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in are dragging us down and causing us to start doubting about our future uh, with the Father, the future the Father has planned for us and begins to take away our joy, let's for a moment remember what Paul had experienced in his journey with Jesus. Immediately after his conversion, there on the road to to Damascus, they sought to kill him, and he was forced to flee the city by being lowered from the city wall at night in a basket. Later, he was forced to flee from Iconium. He was pelted with stones and left for dead at Lystra, was beaten and thrown into jail at Philippi, was forced to flee from Thessalonica after his preaching touched off a riot. He went there to Berea from where he was also forced to flee. He was mocked and ridiculed by Greek philosophers at Athens. He was hauled before the Roman proconsul in Corinth. He faced, he faced both Jewish opposition and rioting from Gentiles in Ephesus. In Jerusalem, he was savagely beaten by a frenzied mob and saved from certain death when Roman soldiers arrived on the scene and arrested him. He was under house arrest in Caesarea for two years without resolution before heading to Rome. And after an eventful trip, which, he include, which included being shipwrecked in a violent storm, Paul arrived at Rome where he writes Philippians during his fourth year of Roman custody, awaiting Emperor Nero's final decision in this case. what would he say for to me to live is Christ for Paul the circumstances that he faced in his life only increased his faith Satan so wants to discourage us Satan so wants us to give up on God because of what we're facing in Paul's case he chose to allow each one of those circumstances to deepen the roots of his faith. And he would write a letter later in this letter that he had learned how to be content, to trust the Lord in any situation that he found himself in. For me to live is Christ, Paul would say. That view of life allowed him to look at death, as, gain. as he wrote in Galatians two twenty, I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and so I, I asked the question how is death gain for those who've chosen to follow Jesus here are a few reasons not complete but here are a few number one we have permanent freedom from evil permanent freedom from sin revelations 21 verses 22 to 27 I did not see a temple in the city, John, looking at that that eternal city. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine for it, for the glory of the Lord gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut because there is no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Colossians 2, verse 15, Jesus talks about Jesus proclaiming that, He has the victory over Satan and his evil ones. So, when we, why is death gained? We have a permanent freedom from sin and from evil. That's a pretty good one right there. We return just to the place that Adam and Eve were before they chose to sin. Number two, we will be like Jesus. We will be like Jesus. First John chapter three, verse two, John writes again, Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like Jesus. We don't become Jesus. We're not somehow divine. No, the grace and the blessing of God allows us to exist just like Jesus exists. And we will see him as he is. So we'll have a permanent freedom from evil and sin. We will be like Jesus. Number three, we will be with Jesus. Revelation 21 again. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We will live with the Father. We will live with the Son. We will live with the Holy Spirit in their presence. Number four, how is death gained? We will rejoin family, friends, and others whose names are written in the book of life. John writes in Revelation 7, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are you looking forward to see, once again, when you die and go to be with the Lord? For me, my list is my grandfather, who was a a Methodist pastor for 40 years, Eleanor's mother, who dearly loved us, would have loved to have met her great-grandchildren, but never had the opportunity. My Uncle Jim, who in his early 70s died of cancer. A few names that you'll remember, Larry Crouch, Clarence Josephson, David Fountain, Nan Pavey, Don Koloski, Paul Murphy, Woody Briggs. All our loved ones who loved Jesus, we will see again. We will live with again. We will spend eternity with them in the presence of Jesus. They and many others will all be there. And my last reason for dying being gain is the word Eternity, forever, everlasting. Words that, that we can say, words that we can find in the dictionary, but in the reality, they really don't compute in any way to our experience. Because everything God has created in the world in which we see has a limited life. Everything has a limited life. Even the heaven and earth that God originally created will have a limited life because God's going to recreate it, a new heaven and a new earth. And yet, Psalm 23, a scripture that many, many, many people know. Verse 6, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord And you know what forever means? (laughs) I'm thinking of Andy right now. You know, this is too difficult to understand. It means forever. John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. And often I, I've used this in a funeral memorial setting, particularly when I know there are lots of unbelievers around, because I, I, I just, I always feel the need to talk about the future when we're remembering and hopefully honoring someone who's no longer there because everybody alive a service is for those that are alive not for the person that's dead they've already met their maker just trying to be honest with you right there that's how pastors put together services to minister to those that are live alive and so I ask the question in a service often where did this idea of wanting to live forever comes from I mean was it Ponce de Leon, I'm going back off of my notes right here. Ponce de Leon, he wanted to come to the New World to find the the spring of life. What was it called? The, The fountain of youth, right? Because we all want to live forever. Now, I'm not gonna go there with this crowd and ask you how much longer you want to live, okay? I'm a little bit smarter than that. You know, the answer to that question is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 God has placed eternity in the hearts of humans. God has placed it there so that we would be able to look around, me meaning, we meaning all humanity would be able to look around and see, wait a second, nothing lasts forever, and yet I want to live forever. Where did that thought come from? It came from your creator. And your creator gives you an opportunity to make the choice where you will spend eternity in his presence or in hell. And so um, death is gain. For me to live as Christ and, and die is gain, because death really needs to be looked at as an opportunity. It's it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to remind everyone, including ourselves, that life is short and so temporary. Earlier, Sonny prayed about the, the collapse of the building over in Surfside. No one who went to bed that evening understood that that was going to be it that night. But isn't that a picture of the, of the temporary nature of the lives that we live here on this earth, completely dependent upon Jesus to, to extend our lives each and every day? Life is short and temporary, but God is eternal, and so is heaven, an eternal dwelling place that Christ goes and prepares for us to live in with him. Death is an opportunity because death is so hard. And and hopefully, and I know for some of you, I have to be careful because I'm not trying to to rub in the wrong way. And so I want to affirm that death is hard. It stinks. We would much rather not have to go through the death of a loved one. The death of a parent, the death of a spouse, the death of a child, or a grandchild. I know that's been a part of of our collective experience. But death absolutely points to God. It absolutely points to the fact that Jesus holds the key to life and death. And that his death on the cross... Paid the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for all of our sins, for the sins of all of God's family, enabling us to enter into his family and to join the eternal rest, to spend eternity in heaven. Death absolutely points to God. Death is also an opportunity because no one dies before the time decided by God. No one dies before the time decided by God. And it's always God's desire that men would choose, men in a generic use of the word, which I think is okay, right? At least what used to be, that all humans would have the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus, to receive the gift of salvation by having their sins forgiven, by putting their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Every human being has that opportunity. Death is also an opportunity to experience his presence and love like none other when someone that you love leaves there's a hole in your heart in our hearts that only God can fill and he so wants to fill that he so wants to grab you in his loving arms Tell you that his grace is sufficient and it will carry us through. Death is also an opportunity to minister to family and friends like none other. And so, will the death of a loved one tear a family apart, which can happen, and I've seen it, or by the grace of God? Bring a family closer. And maybe even bring some in a family who don't know Christ to come to a true understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. One of the hardest things about following the guidelines during our, our the last year, and a, almost a year and a half, was the fact that 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 we were told and we did stay away from one another that's so unbiblical because god has created us for fellowship God has created us to minister to one another. God has created us to come alongside our brother and sister in need and walk with them and carry them through the time, particularly the time of grief in dealing with death. And Finally, death reminds us of our responsibility to walk with Jesus here and now. Knowing that death is in our future. I'll say that again. Knowing that death is in our future, how should we live? How should we live? Paul would go on to say a little bit further in, in chapter one, "Whatever happens, whether I live or die, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens to me, Paul said, you keep on following Jesus. He'd write in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Knowing that we're going to die, knowing that we are going to be accountable, held accountable for everything that we've said, every act, act that we've done, we should be increasingly purposing to follow Jesus. Remember, the first half of that statement, dying is gain, but for me to live is Christ. And that should be for us, not just for the Apostle Paul, but for us as well. For us to live is Christ. And so, 30 minutes, maybe 34 minutes into this, the summary of what I've been trying to communicate. Jesus has an expectation for us that we live for him. If if he's our Lord, if he's our Savior, an expectation that we should live for him every day, 24-7, all day, every day, that we live for him. For me to live is Christ. And if we do, the Holy Spirit will empower us to accomplish the good things that he has planned in advance for us to do. God's grace is always sufficient. He'll help us through whatever we're going through. And when we reach the end of our time that he has given to us here on this earth, the next adventure that he has planned for us is better. Better. Now I'm sorry you won't be able to bring your walkers for the next adventure. You know, it uh, we're not going to allow them. Uh, no crutches, no canes, no walkers, none of those for the next adventure that God has planned. Cuz his plans are always perfect and they're always good and they're always above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. So for me to live is Christ, and to die, is gain. Let's pray. Father, we um, we thank you, Lord, that that the sufficiency of your grace continues to abound in our midst. That The love that you have for us is beyond our understanding because we fall so short often, Father. Forgive us, cleanse us, and enable us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you so that we, like the Apostle Paul, can say, to live is Christ. Help us to do that, Father. And help us to do that in such a way that others that don't know Christ that are around us, whether it's family members or friends or people that we live near, Lord, now here at this stage, that they would see Jesus in us and ask us about that so that we can point to you. And, Father, when we reach the last Day, When we reach the last moment, give us the strength that we need. Give us the patience that we need. Help us, Lord, to come into your presence in exactly the way that you have planned. We look forward to that, Father, all for your glory.